Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all. Whew. The unrivaled one, the the name above every name, his, man, we're just kind of, it lets us off the hook a little bit just to know this is his church. He is doing his work in the world. It's not riding on me. I just get to participate. Man, what a joy to sing of the beautiful name of Jesus whose gospel advances um, and that he's invited us in. All right, well, uh, let's, let's dig in. As you know, uh, we've been uh, taking a break from the Gospel of Luke um, he, he, as we enter into the fall. And, and, and these last two weeks, we've been considering our, our church's vision. We, we've kind of sought to answer this question, uh, what would our church look like if we truly lived out the mission? Like what kind of people would we be and what kind of place would this be? What kind of families would we have uh, if we were truly uh, Jesus-centered people? If we truly devoted our lives to making disciples and to making much of Jesus? And now to even ask that question, it just presupposes that none of this happens apart from the grace of God. None of it happens. We can strategize and we can plan and we can labor, but apart from God's grace at work within us, in our families, in our church family, none of this works. Um, and so, so we need him. If we're gonna, tre- the, the, the first week we talked about treasuring the gospel. If we're gonna treasure him, we need him to reveal himself to us, to show him himself in, in his word. If we're gonna be the sort of community that lives uh, the way of Jesus, we need his help. We need him to sanctify us, to make, him more, to make us more like Jesus. That's the only way it's gonna work. Um, and, and so that's where we've been these first two weeks. But um, it, so if, if Christ has made much among us, then, then this, by God's grace, we will be a church family who treasures the gospel of Jesus, lives the way of Jesus. And then finally today, we'll be a people who proclaim the hope of Jesus. And maybe you're like getting fidgety now. And you're like, oh, brother, this is like about evangelism or missions or something. And it's gonna be, you know, well... Yeah, it kind of is. Um, but I, I, as we think about a mission, I, I think I think I, I think we're going to look a little broader than maybe you think. And and because my mind immediately jumps to marriage, and uh, I, I remember when I used to work with college students, one of the most uh, c- constant questions that you get when you're like around eighteen to twenty-five year olds is like how do I get married? Like, I want to do that. So how do I do it? Uh, and there's lots of answers to that question. The world's answering that question in a lot of ways. Uh, we, you could answer it with like, well, what sort make a list of the qualities that you're looking for. Like, have you, have you considered the people in your friend group and uh, maybe join a singles group or go on a dating website? There's a lot of people are giving answers to that question. Uh, but the more complex answer, and I would say the right one is to, to ask a question back. And that question is, what kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? And how are you arranging your life, disciplining your life, pursuing the Lord in such a way that all that list of all those qualities that you want in your spouse, why would that person want you? Why would they want to start a life with you? Be the person that God's called you to be. And then the rest will take care of itself, right? This is the marriage, the marriage question. So when it comes to mission, I think the approach has some similarities. We could answer... We could, we could ask the question or answer the question of, well, what words do I say to a non-believer? Uh, and there's a place for that. Um, but I think in today's text, I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna cause us to kind of take a step back and to answer the question, what kind of people are we? What kind of people has God called us to be? 
And as he's shaping us, how will he use our lives in a broader sense to, to proclaim who he is? And so from the text today, I want us to see four ways that the Lord has called us to display and to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ in the world. We proclaim him, number one, by our love, number two, by our compassion, number three, by our suffering, and number four, by our words. And then we'll, we'll close kind of with some practical uh, suggestions. Uh, let me, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we get started. Would you take just a minute and pray? Uh, pray for yourself, pray for your own soul. Just pray that the Lord would remove distractions, that he would, uh, that he would draw your, your heart to hear what his word would, would have you here today. And how would you pray for me um, that I would speak only what uh, God's word has for us to hear? I pray for us that, that we would hear together, that we, we, that we need Christ, that we would hear him. Um, so pray now. Father, we, for every little thing, we need you. For our next breath, we need you. If we're to, if we're to live lives of eternal impact, we need you. If we're to parent our children in a way that adorns the gospel of Christ, we need you. And everything, Lord, we, we need your word. We need your spirit at work in us. We need the gospel to, to, be, to be transforming us. And so Lord, would, would, you, would you help us to believe today where, where there's unbelief? Would you shape us where we've grown apathetic or where we're not believing? Lord, would you make much of the name of Jesus in our church and in our community? Lord, we, we do lift up our, our brother uh, Josh and our sister Laura Rice as they're in Japan. Lord, would you bless them even this very minute, Lord, would they feel your nearness? Would they know you're with them? Would you give them a heart for the people of Japan and for the ministry that you've put in front of them? Would you help them with the language? Would you help them to get settled, to feel home? Um, and Lord, would you make much of the name of Jesus in Japan through their ministry? Help us now. We, we, we need you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we proclaim him, number one, by our love. So, so for context here uh, in this letter from Peter, remember Peter's writing to Christians that are scattered throughout the, the, these Roman provinces uh, in Asia Minor. And this is really modern day Turkey. Uh, and, and there isn't like outright physical persecution happening yet. Uh, but the church is, is beginning to feel it. They're beginning to feel like the cultural like pushback, uh, that they're disdained and not liked 
Uh, they're being marginalized for what they believe. And, and I think that probably rings a little true, right? That sounds a little familiar. And that's why I think the, 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 the Peter's letter, this, this letter here in First Peter, really there's a lot for us, even in this cultural moment, that we can learn from. Uh, and so much of what he's describing is that life in these places, in these cities, is gonna feel like you're in exile in a foreign land. Like that's how strange Christianity is gonna seem to your neighbors and how strange they may seem to you. So in, in summation, he says, in verse eight, as he's, as he's been instructing them, he says, verse eight, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. And when we begin to talk about mission, like we're prone to skip over this part. Uh, we think of like mission is, is me or, or maybe us going out. But Peter starts within. Uh, you wanna excel at proclaiming Jesus' love to others? Begin learning to love those on the inside. Like we talked about last week, ground zero of the Christian life is within the community, within the church. We are not individual PhD students being trained up in knowledge and sent out into the world alone. No, we are like an invisible tree being nourished and watered together so that we might branch out and to provide gospel shade to the world. I mean, look, look at this list. These aren't random virtues. They're, they're communal virtues. Uh, Ed Clowney describes it like fingers on a hand, that they work together. As brothers and sisters, we're to be like-minded. Like-minded. This isn't uniformity. This isn't unanimity. Uh, no, the, the church is a tremendously diverse place. Uh, it's a diverse in status. It's diverse in race. Uh, it's diverse in its, in its approach to culture or politics. No, this isn't, this isn't uni uniformity on those issues. No, this is single-mindedness about Christ. Back in chapter one, Peter had said, set your hope completely on the grace that's been brought to you in Christ. If unity is found in any other notion, any other identity, then other than we are the redeemed people of Christ, loved by the Father, if it's in anything else, it'll, it'll splinter us. Before we even get to mission, it'll splinter us. We must prize no other identity over our identity in Christ. We are not American Christians first. We are not white Christians, black Christians, homeschool Christians, public school Christians. When our hope is set singularly on the gospel, that's when we, that's when we experience oneness that transcends all of these other categories. That's when we're enabled to love one another despite our differences. And then we can step into the world united. And then he says, we're sympathetic. That means we're, we're not just single-minded. We, we don't just think uh, and, and are united around what, what's been done in Christ. We actually feel together. We don't just think together. We feel together. We, we aren't just business partners agreeing to the same covenant. No, we, we're feeling. We're rejoicing with each other. We're weeping with each other. We're, we want good for each other. We, we don't exploit each other. We sacrifice for each other. That's, that's what it means to live the way of Jesus with each other. And then he goes on, love one another. This is, this is family stuff. This is brotherly love, family love. He, he, this kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Why do we feel each other's pain? Because you're my family member. How, how can we be so different and yet unified around the, the cross together? It's because God's made his family by his grace. Even, even Jesus goes here, starts here with his disciples. And remember in John 13, as he's spending that, that final evening with them in the upper room, uh, he, he washes uh, his disciples' feet 
And what's happening in that moment? Jesus takes, I mean, the king of the universe takes the place of dishonor. He's on, he's down low. The lowest spot in the room, the king of glory scrubbing and washing feet. It's an incredible scene. And so what's the object lesson that we see there? Well, I mean, I think first it's, it's he's showing that they, they need to be served by Jesus. It's not the other way around. They need him to serve them. They need help from him. But second, he's showing them how to live. He's saying, this is how you treat each other. He says it in verse 15. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. And then down later in the chapter in verse 34, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. You wanna show Christ to the world? Then love other Christians. Love them like family. Serve them. The, the church is one of the only places in the world, I think, where CEOs and company presidents are down on the floor sharing the gospel with two-year-olds. That's amazing. Where else do you see that sort of service? It's the only place where upper middle-class retirees spend their, their entire, all of their time helping somebody else find a job, helping somebody else find a car, serving at the pregnancy center. It's the only place where you see this. And you may be saying, well, what does this have to do with proclamation though? Like, and and I, I really do think it's this. Like, do you feel adequate to, to share the mercy of Christ with the world? Do you? Like, I don't. I don't feel adequate. But guess what? God has given us a place, a people, where he is shaping us, he's changing us, it's building us together so that we together might be a flesh and blood demonstration of his love to the world. It's, that sounds like a terrible plan. Like I wouldn't have planned it that way. Uh, I'm not, I don't feel like a great representation of God, but it's his plan. We are his people. And he, he hasn't sent us out as disconnected missionaries. No, he's, he's made us a people. We're in this together. In fact, back in chapter two, just a chapter ago, Peter said, you were not a people, but now you are. You're now your family. And for, for what purpose? He says, that, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's made us family for a purpose so that we might display his glory to the world. The degree to which we lay aside our preferences, to the degree to which we serve each other like our humble savior served us, that's the degree to which we will demonstrate the love of God to the world. It starts here, it starts inside. And he keeps going in verse eight. And be compassionate and humble. Number two, we proclaim and by our compassion. Now, this is interesting because I think it's kind of, he's beginning to change direction. Uh, compassion uh, is this deep mercy. Uh, it refers to something that you feel like deep down uh, inside yourself. Literally, like it re literally means like your bowels, like in, in your insides. That's kind of gross. Uh, it's, it's like a cr the crushing weight that you feel like in your stomach. Like when you see somebody in pain, like I don't know if this is everybody or if it's just me, it's probably me. As I'm getting older, maybe you can relate. I, like, I used to think, 
America's Funniest Home Videos and those kinds of things were hilarious. They're very common now, like fail videos and all this stuff all over the place. They cause me pain now. Like I, I have to look, look away. It hurts inside my stomach when I see this happening. Uh, why? Because there's something that's supposed to hurt inside of us when we see other human beings hurt. Like that's how God made us. And as the Lord unites us together by his love, we are gonna hurt when we see others who are hurting. We're gonna be filled with compassion for them. That's what that is, that's compassion. And I think that sort of compassion will lead us to do two things. It will lead us to go to the one who's in pain in mercy. That's the first one. Compassion, that's what compassion led the good Samaritan to do, to go to the hurting person to help when he saw this wounded man on the road. Jesus was full, full of compassion when he saw the crowds. Because why? Because they were hurting. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do? He prayed for workers to go. He, he sent his disciples to them. But compassion also compels us to invite others in, to invite the hurting to us through hospitality. We see the father with compassion to his prodigal son, as he comes back, what does he do? He invites him in. He invites him back into the feast, into the family. Jesus, the humble king, he's the best example. He goes to the unlovely, to the outcasts. And what does he do? He invites them to himself. He invites them to follow him. He invites them to feast. He joins with them. And haven't we been recipients of this sort of compassion from Christ? Like, isn't that all of our story? that we've received mercy, that he came to us. We could not get to him in compassion. He came to us with great mercy. He gave us righteousness that we couldn't have earned and, and, he, and he, gave, he gave it freely. And, and isn't it our, also our story that he welcomed us in, that he brought us into his family, that he called us his, his children. He adopted us. That wasn't a status we gave ourselves, he did it. That's what compassion does. That's what his compassion does. And it's what it does in us. Look at verse nine. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. So we're called to bless, to, to demonstrate God's mercy and compassion. This is God's people throughout the whole scriptures is to be a blessing to the world, to demonstrate his mercy. Uh, and so when we see what he's done for us, we don't just want to serve each other. Like you don't just want to serve other Christians. When you, when you see that how he came to you, you want to go. You want to be full of mercy for them. You want to go to the poor. You want to go to the unlovely. You want to invite those in pain in, in near to you. Mercy ministry, I think, has kind of gotten a bad rap these days. Um, but mercy ministry is, is a, probably the most anti-Pharisee behavior that we can, that we can partake in. Like the Pharisees, what do they do? They gave extra honor. They gave extra honor to those who were, uh, they deemed worthy through the pious, to the rich. They avoided the sinners, the outcasts. But compassion, mercy says, I'll just go to the ones who can never pay me back. It's like the opposite. And when we're to be an example of that sort of mercy, of people of the wash towel. Christ, Christ was called gentle and lowly in heart. So, so we should be among the lowliest. Not too good to serve anyone. Not too busy or too important to pursue anybody who's in pain. 
And historically, the church has done great at this. This is the church has been one of the bright lights of caring for the poor and the needy. And I think maybe, maybe we, in more modern times, I, th- I think maybe we've gotten a little more tripped up on that. Maybe, maybe it's due to politics. Maybe it's an aversion and tra- trying to avoid a social gospel. Um, and maybe it's because it really is, poverty really is complicated in, in, our, in our day and age. But look, mercy ministry can't replace speaking the gospel. It can't. But do you want a direct line past the veneer of a hard heart? Even past the veneer of the heart of, of someone who is antithetical or hates the gospel? Like serve them. Pay back evil for good. Be a blessing. Mercy ministry demonstrates the gospel. It shows that that Christ came to us. Even as we hope to proclaim the gospel to them, we can demonstrate it for them. And and it's not just for the poor, it's for your neighbor. It's for your coworker. What are their needs? How are they hurting? Maybe they've not shown interest in the gospel, but but how how do they need help with their kids? Like where where do they need help with their their finances? Maybe, Maybe they just need help moving boxes. Like, are we marked by a willingness to roll up our sleeves and to serve those in need, to be near to them? And then guess what? You get to tell them, you get to tell them why. You get to tell them why you wanna serve them. You get to be their friend. Praise God for many of you who, who pour out your life like this. I know so many of you who spend time at team. Pastor Barry has modeled this so faithfully and, that we, and so many of us could, can, can join him to be a part of serving. So many of you give your time volunteering at team, ministering to those who have need. Some of you are at the pregnancy center serving regularly. Some of, so many of you serve with Thrive, serving orphan and foster care families. Praise God. And, and I know also a number of our families in our church, you, you have op- your house is like a revolving door of people. Like you are constantly inviting people in. You've embraced hospitality. A, a few of you have walked through just horrendous things with someone just because they were your neighbor and because you befriended them. May we embrace this ministry of hospitality. I, I'm really convinced that if, like, if every member of our church over the next month, if every one of us had a neighbor, just one, one neighbor, one friend from work, one family from your kid's soccer team, just one over to your house for dinner, like we might experience something explosive. This is what hospitality can bring about. Second Corinthians five says, we are ambassadors. We're, 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 we're called to invite people to be reconciled to the king. That means we're not a social club. We're an embassy, an outpost of heaven. Your house gets to be just a little outpost station where this happens. And when a non-Christian comes into contact with you, when they receive your mercy, when, they, when they're invited in by your hospitality, many of them will go, why? Why, why are you like this? I'm like, why do you even care? Why are you out here sweating when you could be in the AC? Like, you're gonna be peculiar to them. Like, you're gonna feel like you're from another planet and that's, that's good. You are kinda. Like, you're a citizen of heaven. You should smell a little different. So who's, who's need is it in Tomball that ca- causes your stomach to just turn? You can see their pain and it, and it, and it hurts you. 
As we prepare for this church plant in Magnolia, some of you that live in Magnolia, who, who's, who aches? How does your stomach ache? How, does you, how do your insides ache for people who are in pain in Magnolia? May that sort of compassion spur us to go, spur us to invite. This is how our hope is made known. Third, we proclaim him by our suffering. Verse 13 says this, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. <laughs> this, is such a, this is such a double-sided question. Like, who will harm you if you do what is good? Well, like a lot of people. Like a lot of people want to harm us when we do good. And within 50 years of writing this letter, there'd be people that Peter wrote to in those places where they would begin to be executed for believing in Jesus. So there's, there's harm that can come. Uh, verse 14, it kind of sounds like Romans 8, right? When Paul wrote, but whether affliction or persecution or nakedness or sword, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And, and he, he follows it up to say, this is like real. Even in that same passage, he says, he says, we're being put to death all day long. But what's his answer? He said, what will separate us from the love of Christ, from, from true blessedness? Nothing. Nothing can. And all these things, even in death, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. We... So, so who will harm you as you do mercy? as you obey Jesus? Some people might actually, I think is part of the answer. We will suffer, it's promised, it's gonna happen. The, the world is not going to, to love what we do or have to say. But Pete, Peter's urging us to see, I think two incredible things that suffering is doing. First, it, it's, it's leading us to worship. Suffering leads us to worship. When we walk through difficulty, we, we believe more deeply than we do, I think outside of difficulty, that Christ is what we need. It's the, the Lord shapes us through mercy, through, through, through suffering. I think that's what Peter says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Set, set Christ the Lord as holy. Like Christ the Lord, the Holy One, he's your hope. Not, not removal of circumstance, not, not, a, not a new situation, not more comfort, not a smoother life. You need Christ. And so even as you seek to serve people, they may, they're gonna call you narrow-minded, People are gonna think we're old-fashioned. They're gonna call you bigoted. They're gonna, they may mock us. They, you may get kept from a job that you want. But still, what do we do? We don't lose heart. We don't grow weary in doing good. We bless those even who persecute us. And in our suffering, we see even more that there's hope beyond that moment. There's hope beyond the comfort we want in that moment. There's hope beyond temporary rejection and the approval that we really want. Uh, there's hope beyond all that. Ultimately, there's hope beyond the grave. That's what we experience as we suffer. Second, not only is suffered, suffering doing that work in us, so that work of worship in us, but our suffering is doing something. The Lord is actually working through our suffering. He's doing something through us. That's, that's in an amazing twist. Our suffering also actually becomes a means through which the Lord enables others to see hope. The Apostle Paul described his own sufferings this way. This is a Colossians 1. He said in verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission 
that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. It's such a weird phrase that he, he says he's completing what is lacking, completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, which sounds really strange, but <clears throat> there's a great missionary story that I heard John Piper share years ago. It's a missionary who was sharing the gospel from village to village in India. And, and as he went in, he, he was late in the day and he went into this village uh, and, and, he, and they, they kick him out immediately. As soon as he begins to speak, they kick him out. Um, and he goes and he lays down under a tree and, he, and as, as he's laying there, uh, he wakes up to them all surrounding him and they're staring at him. And what are, they, what are they seeing? What are they looking at? They're seeing that as he's laying there, they see there's blisters all over his feet that he's, he suffered to get there. Like he's, he's, hurt, he's, he's hurt himself trying to get to them. And they, and they just go, look, if, you, if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna hurt so badly just to get to us, we, got, we have to listen. In, in our suffering, we're completing something that's lacking. They, we, we're, we're, we're serving people who, who haven't known or seen the, the sufferings of Christ. They don't know of him yet. So we're, we're filling the gap. They didn't see, all, they haven't heard it all yet, but, but we're showing them through our suffering, not, not as we complain, not, not, not throwing a fit over our suffering, but trusting. And as we do that, our suffering is saying Christ is better. Christ is better than comfort in this life. And that's compelling to them. Some of you, some of, you, some of us in this room today are, are, are suffering not because of persecution, but suffering because the world is a fallen place. Some of you have uh, sick kids. Um, some have chronic illness or a cancer diagnosis. Some of you have lost a job. Even our dear sister, uh, Judy Evans, as she's sitting next to our brother, John, and his weakened state from cancer. But as, as John said this week from his bed, I'm more blessed than I deserve. The Lord has been so good to me. As he says that, even laying in the state that he's in, that faithful suffering, that points to the gospel, to hope beyond this life, beyond this moment, even beyond the grave. And it does it, you know how, what, what it does? It does it better than any of us could do it. How is that possible? When Jesus is sweeter when the gospel is truer and nearer to you than even your next breath, even when breath is fleeting, Christ is made much of. Even in our suffering unto death, that is a dying that says to the world that death is gain. For the Christian, death is gain because of Christ. That the faithful love of God really is better than life, it really Sometimes when you suffer, the only good work that the Lord has laid in front of you to do is to sing and to trust, to bless the Lord, to say he's with me, he's carrying me. And, and many will see it. And we pray that many will glorify our father in heaven when they see and number four, we proclaim him by our words. Look at the rest of verse 15. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So when you walk in mercy, when you suffer well, 
people are going to go, okay, how? <laughs> Why? How, how are you able to do it? And I, I think this is maybe where we get tripped up in this passage. Uh, it can be really easy to read this verse and go, well, I'm ready. Soon as somebody asks me, I'm ready. Uh, I'll, I'll talk then. Until then, I'm just going to live my life. And whenever somebody asks me how, how I'm doing so great, I'll tell them. It's Jesus. I'm regarding Christ as the Lord, as holy in my heart. That's what I'm doing. And then I'll talk when somebody asks. And, and, and look, it is true uh, that suffering, it does become a means by which people will ask what we're doing. But it's not the only means. And I think even in this day and age where Christianity is becoming less and less attractive, sometimes people are slower and slower to ask. The New Testament is replete with commands for us to speak. We must speak of Jesus. Just a chapter earlier, Peter said that our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. What does that mean? That means we're to speak it. That, everywhere that word is used is, is a preaching word, a speaking word. Speak of his excellencies. And it's not just for the preachers. It's not just for the teachers. It's for all of us. That's his commission is for all of us. And I think as, as Christians, we can fall into a couple of ditches here. Um, I've heard Tim Keller talk about this a lot, and I, I love this. Um, he, he talks about how in previous generations, uh, and, and maybe there's some still like this today, but especially in previous generations, uh, there were many who, who just felt like all we need to do is speak of Jesus. Faith, faithful Christianity means this. Tell people about Jesus. Let the chips fall where they may. Caring for the poor, meeting physical needs, that's not, that doesn't matter. That's not what Christianity is. And, and maybe that's kind of w where you are, at least how you operate. Maybe you've had little interest in serving the poor, little interest in caring for the orphan or the prisoner, the drug addict. And, and maybe you need to be encouraged from God's word. Be people of mercy. Remember Christ's mercy to you. He came to you. You were a mess. And he came to you. And so one of the best ways you can demonstrate your hope is to go and, and help the hurting. Actually serve your neighbors. Uh, of course, these days, I think maybe it's a more prominent mindset amongst Christians and, and amongst uh, many in our culture uh, that actually goes the opposite way. And Keller talks about this, that these are people that are eager Eager to do good deeds, eager to, uh, mercy is, I'm all about mercy, I'll do that, but that's it. Like, I don't, I don't speak, I'm not gonna say anything. But that's not right either. It's not enough to do good deeds. We, we can't only demonstrate. At some point, we, we do need to explain why. We explain the hope that we have. We explain the mercy of Christ. It, he was merciful to us like we, when we had no hope. We gotta talk about it. And I love that so, so, so many in our body, you give so much of your time uh, to those who are hurting. You're, you're like fresh water to many of the, those in need in our community uh, and such an example to each of us. But today, if, maybe if that's you, maybe, maybe you need to be reminded the gospel is news. You gotta, you gotta share the news. They may be drawn in by our kindness, but the only way that they'll be reconciled to the Father is by hearing the good news. Because it's not us, it's not our kindness that reconciles them, it's Christ that reconciles them. They need his kindness, and so we have to tell them. Verse 16, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, 
so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. I love this part because I do think it's important, especially in this day and age, in the social media age. Like we're not gonna fight people into the faith. Uh, we're, we're lovingly imploring them to be reconciled to God. But I think if, if we take these, these categories from, from Keller, the, the, those who, who do all speaking and those who do all serving, um, I think maybe there's a third category. And I think the third category is, is apathy. Like maybe you, maybe you really, <laughs> I don't have a lot of heart for the, for the hurting and I'm not really speaking a lot. Like maybe, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're going, I don't really think of the lost at all. And I don't think that's uncommon these days because, because I think it's so easy. We're, like we're so, there's so much going on in, in our lives. You're going, I got, I, got, I got so much to worry about with my own family and my own job and my own life. That it consumes my attention. And I think this is why this, this, whole, this whole series, uh, this whole idea of, of, of making much of Jesus, what that would look like is that it begins with a treasuring of the gospel. It has to start there in our hearts. The degree to which we believe, truly believe that we deserve the death, but got the love of God. That Christ died in our place for our sins, as we believe that, as that gospel truth becomes sweet, only then will we actually start to feel for the lost. We'll want them to know it because we were lost. We were like them and we'll want them to hear it too. So, so do you truly treasure the gospel? Do you believe it? If not, start there. Like don't start with mercy. I mean, don't, don't, don't not do mercy, but start with Christ showed you mercy. If that's not sweet, think on it, meditate on it, cry out and ask him that you would see and believe the gospel. Don't try to serve first, suffer first so, so that you might show the gospel. Believe what he's done for you. See what Christ has done for you. See his suffering for you. And once that sweet gospel has been drilled in deeply into your soul, once you relish how, how wonderful he is, how much he's done for you, how merciful he's been to you, that will break up the apathy. That will stir your heart. And, and, and then even if you don't know what to say to your lost friends, you'll be compelled to say something. And I know like evangelism, like tell, telling people the good news of Jesus, that, that seems overwhelming. Some, some of you are really good at, good at it. So others of us, we, we need to grow. The, the elders have, have talked about uh, maybe doing more training in this area. We, we wanna do that. We wanna grow in that. But, but let me just give, give, give us five practical steps that I think might begin to help us proclaim Christ to others. Number one, make a friend, not a project. Make a friend, not a project. If, if we see people as projects, then we'll quit the project whenever it seems like it's never gonna get completed. We'll give up on people. They're hard, they don't wanna listen, they're not interested, I'm moving on. People, people smell that fakeness from a mile away. If we, if we see the people as the Lord does though, as people made in the image of God, then we'll invest tons of time in them, even if the project's hard. We'll wanna be their friend, period. And so where the Lord has given you an opportunity to develop real friendships, whether that's in your neighborhood, whether that's at your workplace, whether that's on the cul-de-sac where you live, whether that's at your school, do it. Just be a friend. Pray that God will help you in that. 
Just identify who, who is it? Who is it that you, that you need to be their friend? If we're not willing to invite people into our lives as friends, to engage them in that way, it won't work. Number two, don't hide who you are. As you invite friends and become part of their life, just be a Christian. Like you don't have to, to have like some sort of slick presentation. You don't need a, a Roman's road. Uh, where the church is part of your life, talk about it. Uh, hey, I'm taking a meal to a family in our church who just had a baby. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll be back later. Actually, we made extra. You wanna come over for dinner? Like talk about your church life. Tell, tell them something God is teaching you. Like living on mission is not some undercover operation where later we like spring it on them. Oh, if Jesus is your treasure, talk about your treasure. Bring him up. Talk about your church friends. Talk about how you had to ask your spouse for forgiveness the other day. Talk about, talk about your small group. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to dinner with your group. Evangelism may well be a thousand small conversations. Our friends in other cultures get this because it takes years. It takes years of investment into other people for the gospel to take root. So we have to be patient. We have to be persistent. Every conversation, a gospel seed. And if love is the goal, we'll press on. We'll press on even when conversion is slow, even if it never comes. We plant, we water, but, but, but growth is the Lord's. Number three, speak when suffering comes. And you know what comes up with friends? Like anxiety. People talk about what they're afraid of. People are anxious over, over the news. They're anxious over uh, current events. They're anxious, anxious about parenting. They're anxious when a school shooting happens. People are, are afraid. And people will talk about the fear. So, so you can talk about yours and, and how you've had to, where you've had to go with your fears, how you've had to take them to the Lord. Even more, well, you know what comes into everyone's life? Suffering. And if they're a friend, if you've actually invested that in their life, then they're gonna come to you and they're gonna talk about their suffering. And when they do, it's a gift. It's a gift when, when a lost friend talks to you about their, their suffering. Because often they have a limited capacity. They don't have the resources that we have in Christ to deal with it. And so pray for them. Talk about your own suffering with them. Don't, don't pretend that you don't suffer. You may have suffered very imperfectly, but share with them how Christ sustained you, how he kept you from despairing. Share your hope. Number four, acknowledge their doubts and objections. When, when non-believing friends bring up their, their frustrations with Christianity, don't be offended. Don't fight with them. Don't tell them their questions are stupid. They, they're, gonna, they're gonna ask things that, like, why do you believe what you believe about homosexuality? Why do you believe what you believe about evolution? What's up with Christians and politics? And just be able, be real with them. Acknowledge, Christians are not perfect. We need Christ. That's why we're Christians. Not because we got perfect. Don't get hung up on those secondary things either. Don't, don't pick fights with them. That's what everybody wants to do. The, move on to the important things. What do you believe about Jesus? And welcome their questions. Just, and just say, I don't know when you don't know the answer. Do your best. Give the best answers you can. But even when they disagree, how do we, how do, we do it? Peter says, with gentleness, with reverence, kindness. And number five, speak of what Jesus did for you. Everyone, everyone you, everyone you meet, 
who doesn't know the Lord, they, they wanna fix themselves. They're, they're trying to find something that means something. They wanna improve themselves. And, and you know what? They fail over and over again and they try again. But if you're a Christian, you know that no matter how many times they try, they're gonna keep failing. And you know why you know that? Because you did it. And you failed over and over again. You needed the perfect son of God to be perfect for you. That we can never save ourselves. That's why the gospel's so good. That the gospel's what frees us from, having, from, from never feeling good enough. And then you can share with them I thought, I thought I could be good enough. When I finally realized I couldn't, I saw that Christ was what I needed. He was for those who fall short. That's what people need to hear about grace. They need to know that grace can be for them. I remember years ago meeting with a girl and Amy and I befriended her and I'm not sure if she was a Christian at this point or not. Um, but I remember we were talking and one night she kind of opens up and says, we'd been talking about people that had hurt us. And uh, she said, I, I don't know if I could ever forgive my dad. Like my dad is the one that I don't, I don't think I could ever forgive him. And like, it was real pain for her. And we could have comforted her in that moment. We could have said like, hey, that's really hard. I'm sorry. Uh, we could have given her advice. Here, here's what you can do. Um, but the Lord just gave us the opportunity to say, there are people that I don't think I could ever forgive. I could have never done it until I realized how much God had to forgive me. I needed forgiveness. I didn't deserve it, but he forgave me. He rescued me. And then I had a process where I was able to learn to forgive others. Everyone's stories have commonalities and so we get to speak of our story, how Jesus saved us. They wanna know why they can't be good enough because they never feel good enough. And so you get to tell them, here's what Jesus did for you. You don't deserve it, but he did it for you. And you get to, you get to tell them about verse 18, that Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. That's what they need. That's what they need to know. That's what you needed to know. That's the hope. That's what all of us need. He was patient with you. He loved you. He suffered for you. And now you get to share it with them. We can't reconcile people to the Father. Only Jesus can. But somehow, somehow in God's economy, he's allowed us to play a part. He, him, making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. Let's go to him now in prayer. Would you go to the Lord now? Praise him that he saved you. Praise him for his mercy. And where you feel inadequate or where you feel burdened for the loss, would you ask for his help? Ask him to show you the gospel and, and re renew it within your own heart so that you might share it with others.
Oh Lord, would you help us? We are so imperfect, weak, self-focused. We overlook those who are in, in need. And yet, Lord, you, you didn't overlook us. You were so kind to us. So Lord, would you, in this moment, would you overwhelm us by your great mercy? And Lord, would, would that realization that you've served us so faithfully, that you've forgiven us, that you've made us new, that you've given us a life well beyond what we could have ever imagined, would that reality cause us to be people of mercy? People who speak of our only hope, people of compassion, of long suffering, faithful friends, and eager evangelists. Lord, this is your work. Would you do this in us? Where, where, we, where we are strong and, and some in our body are, are already practicing this, would you, would you make them better? Where, we, where we've neglected it, Lord, would you convict us? And, and Lord, most of all, Lord, would you by your grace start a work of revival in our church and in our community where it could not be explained how many who don't know you right now might, because of a friendship, someone in this room might be sitting in here in a few months with us praising you thanking you for your mercy Lord this only happens through your grace would you, would you do it today we pray it in Christ's name Amen